Turn your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> now this evening at uh, 5 o'clock, I'll be preaching, Lord willing, uh, through John. Uh, we've been preaching in, in John for uh, since, well, almost a year. A year will be in about three weeks. We'll be uh, in one year in John. We're in John chapter 10, so we're not quite halfway yet, but that's preaching through verses, books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. <clears throat> Sometimes it takes a while, and so we're uh, going to be there. But I I'm going to preach a, a Christmas theme message through uh, up until Christmas, of course. And you may look at Philippians chapter 1 and say, Pastor, where in the world are you going to get Christmas out of Philippians 1? Well, I've entitled this passage of Scripture. We'll look at about, I don't know, maybe eight or ten verses in this wonderful chapter. And I've, I've entitled it, What... Your pastor wants for Christmas. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know about you, but I get bombarded with ads. I get bombarded with magazines. About this time of the year, now throughout the year, uh, I get them from Cabela's. That's a great place. All God's people said, amen. amen. If I've not said anything spiritual, I just said it. Cabela's, if you've never been in there, you say, Pastor, I don't even like the outdoors. You need to go. <clears throat> you need to go because you will like it. You'll leave. You'll spend money and not even know it. It just comes out of your wallet. <clears throat> it just floats out of there. I don't know. It just subtracts. When I walk in Cabela's, my bank account gets just a little less. My wife's like, what? what? I don't even know what I spent it on. It's just, it's just magical how that happens. I'll get magazines from Yeti. I like Yeti. I mean, I, we've got enough of them, but I, you just can't keep your drink cool enough. You know what I mean? You've got to have another one because you've got to have one for the car and one for the house. And you've got to have some stuff, you know. <clears throat> and then I like, uh, I like uh, Orvis. I'm just telling you all stuff that I like. Just in case you, you know. <clears throat> so uh, in case I go fishing, you know, trout fishing or Orvis has some good stuff. You know, pheasant hunting or quail hunting, any of that. So I've got a Christmas list because about September, October, my wife will look at me just randomly, not really in the Christmas spirit yet, not even thinking about it, and she'll say, what do you want for Christmas? Now, I, 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 I do that about two weeks before Christmas. <laughs> I look at her and say, honey, what do you want for Christmas? No, I don't do that. But, uh, but you know how, I'm one of those last-minute shoppers that fights all the crowds. You say, Pastor, why do you do that? Well, we don't fight crowds much anymore. There's a thing called the Internet. But then what I find is I'm looking at it because I'll get it right up to it. When's it going to be delivered by? I mean, there's got to be some excitement. And I don't know how to wrap a gift, so you've got to get it here. And then, and then I've got to ask my daughter to wrap it because I don't really know how to wrap it. You ought to see my wrapping job, by the way. It, is, uh, it looks like a three-year-old got a hold of it. And, um, but some of us have wish lists. Uh, you, you probably got one. I, I don't really, honestly, I don't need anything. But I, I do have uh, something that you may not need but want. And we all have those Christmas wish lists. It's like that little boy who's saying, uh, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. I hope that's not what you want this morning. Some of you may. Uh, but what's, what's on your Christmas list spiritually? It's what, what I'm going to deal with. And, and I read a prayer about two weeks ago. I, I love the prayers of Paul. Matter of fact, sometimes when I don't know what to pray, I'll pull out my Bible and read a prayer that Paul prayed. They're powerful. Sometimes I'll read the Psalms and I'll pray uh, Psalms. I, I notice in this chapter, in, in, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul, he prayed in a sensitive matter. Matter of fact, he knew the areas of need and help 
He prayed supernaturally because remember when Paul's writing this church to this church in Philippi, he's writing from jail. And so he's not writing from an island somewhere and, and getting a tan and uh, sitting on the beach and watching the waves come in. No, Paul is chained to a prison, uh, a prison guard and he's, he's writing this to this church in Philippi and he has some things to say to commend them and to encourage them and exhort them. So it's supernatural, it's sensitive, but it's also specific. Because Paul says three specific things for this church in Philippi. And I want us to look at it, starting in verse number 9. Paul says this in chapter 1 and verse 9. And this I pray, so this is his prayer, that your love may abound yet more. Now this is my wish, wish list for our church. That our love may abound more. Paul did not say that they didn't have love. Paul said that the love they did have or should have, may it abound more. May it flow freely. May it be evident that your love may abound more, yet more, and more in knowledge and in all judgment, verse 10, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere, notice those two words, and without offense, Till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach for a, a few moments. Lord, I pray that you would help these verses, not just hear uh, our hearers to, to, to hear them and leave, but Lord, may they be changed by them. May they be encouraged or, uh, Lord, just leaving here with more love. Lord, that's my prayer today, is that we will take this prayer that Paul prayed and apply it to our life this Christmas. May this be on the top of our list, that we love more people the way that we've been loved by the Lord. My prayer is that we have that today, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want for Christmas for our church, the first thing I find it in verse number nine, uh, nine I see a love that flows. Paul says this, that your love may abound yet more and more. Now notice, I, I said it earlier, but Paul did not pray that they would begin to love each other. They, they already loved each other. Matter of fact, if you read in your text and read some of what Paul uh, had, uh, had, had, had uh, experienced, th this church loved Paul, and this church ex experienced that, and Paul experienced that. And it was a love that flowed. But here's what his prayer was. That they had already loved each other, but he prayed that their love would grow. That their love would grow. Love that doesn't grow becomes stagnant. On the other hand, a love that always grows is always fresh. The word abound in, in your verse, in verse number 9, the word abound is the verb form of the noun, abundance. And it means to have an abundance of something, to have an exceeding measure of something. And Paul's prayer was that this church, these believers at Philippi, would have an abounding substance of love. And it would overflow. Why did Paul pray this? What did he say about love? Well, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that there is no greater virtue than that of charity. He said, now abideth faith, hope, charity, these things. But the greatest of these is 
charity. You say, Pastor, what is charity? Charity is loving others the way that we have been loved by the Lord. It's not just love. It's a love in action. And it's a spiritual love. It's a deep love. It's a love like we have never experienced other than through Christ. We can have charity. He says, faith, hope, and charity. And all three of those things are wonderful. But he said, the greatest virtue is Love and charity. He, he said the greatest commandment in, in the Bible is found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through verse 40. He said that we should love God and then we should love each other. And by the way, that accomplishes all the other things. He gave us the, the early commandments, the Ten Commandments. Moses, God gave them to Moses. He wrote them down. And, and we look at those commandments. We try to live by. They're good things to live by. We still, our laws of our land, we, we still recognize most of those commandments as law. But can I say, the greatest commandment is found in the New Testament, Matthew. And by the way, all of the others rest on this one. Love God, love people. It's the greatest commandment. The greatest virtue is love. The greatest commandment is love. The greatest testimony is love. That's found in John chapter 13 and verse 35. Jesus said, uh, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have what? Love one to another. The world recognizes churches by the steeples and by the buildings and by the programs and by the seats and by, by all the things, websites and social media. But God recognizes the church on how we actually love one another. We should have love one for another. So it's the greatest testimony. You want a great testimony? Love people. You want people to know you and know that you love Christ? Love others. It's what Jesus is saying. Hey, the greatest confirmation that we're saved is found in 1 John chapter 3. And, and he even gives us that indicator, good, strong indicator of salvation is, do you love others? If you constantly are bickering and have hatred and resentment and bitterness and can't get along with anybody, constantly causing strife and division and all those things in your life, hey, you might want to take a good look in the mirror of God's Word and look at yourself and say, am I truly a child of God? Why? Because true believers, according to 1 John chapter 3, are ones that love each other. So we see the greatest virtue, the greatest commandment, the greatest testimony, and the greatest confirmation all has to do with love. I recently read a story about a woman who was bit by a mad dog. Now, usually if a dog bites you, he's not happy. Usually. But this dog was raging mad. Matter of fact, she went to the hospital and the doctor said, I hate to tell you this, but you have rabies. Terrible disease. So she began to grab a piece of paper and a pen and she began to write down some things. And the doctor quickly asked her, uh, Ma'am, what are you writing down? Your last will and testament. And she said, No, I'm writing down a list of people I'm going to bite. <laughs> Sounds like some folks that I have met. It was said of the early church that they loved one another. That was an actual thing about the early church. They had fellowship one another. They broke bread with one another. They visited house to house one another. They showed love toward one another. I heard of a boy who walked seven miles. He walked seven miles each Sunday to go to D.L. Moody's church. He passed 15 churches to get there. This is one of the books that D.L. Moody, Moody wrote. This 15-year-old boy walked seven miles to church each Sunday morning to D.L. Moody's church, and he passed 15 churches to get there. 
Some people ask him, why would you walk so far to a church when you are passing 15 churches? He replied this, they know how to love a fellow down there. That church knows how to love a fellow down there. Can I ask you this question this morning? Can folks sense how much we love each other when they walk in our doors? You know, I, I don't know. We, we do have. We had guests in the, in the first service. And we, I'm sure we have guests in this service. And I think one of, the, one of the, the, the major things that people want when they come to a church, oh, they'll look at things and they'll say, oh, I want a good music program. Or, oh, I want to like the preacher. Or, oh, I want to have a nice building or a nice property. Or I'd like to be comfortable. Or all of those things. They may look at some of those things or how they're greeted in the lobby. But let me tell you, the major thing that people are looking for when they visit a church is they can sense that there is love. And you know I'm telling it right. No matter when you came, no matter when you uh, first visited this church, whatever drew you to this church, hey, the fact of the matter is, if we have love for one another, it will be evident. It will be evident. I read this this week. A bell is not a bell until you ring it. A song is not a song until you sing it. Love wasn't put in your heart to stay there. Love just isn't love until you give it away. Isn't that the truth? Look with me in verse number 9 again. We see a love that flows. That was Paul's prayer for this church. A love that would flow. And then secondly, we see a mind that knows. Verse number 9, look at it with me again. That your love may abound yet more and more. And in knowledge and in all judgment. So there's a mind. Paul says, I don't want you to just love in your heart. But I want you to know what you're loving. That you grow in knowledge. Can I make some statements about this powerful love that Paul is talking about? Some have love but don't have knowledge and discernment. Some have knowledge but no love. Love without knowledge is dangerous and knowledge without love is disastrous. And here's what Paul says. I want you to abound in love but I want you to be intelligent about love. I want you to know what you're loving and I want you to have a discernment. A discernment. Listen, we, we as believers should love each other, but there are some things that we're commanded to hate. Not people, but sin. And we're to commanded not to love the world. Now, we, we're to not, 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 not to resent the world and the people, but resent the things of the world. You understand, we can't just go out here loving everything because not everything is of God. And so he says that we should have a knowledge of this love. That love should flow... But there ought to be some teaching, some knowledge, some discernment. Uh, one thing that I feel like is missing from churches today is, is discernment. From believers today is discernment. Discerning what is right and what is wrong. And may I say, if they're living and breathing and walking around, you ought to love them. You ought to love them. Here's the third thing that I see. A mind that knows, a love that flows. But then we see number three, a character that shows. Look with me in verse number 10. The Bible says that you may approve things that are excellent. That you may be, notice this word, sincere. And notice the next phrase, and without offense till the day of Christ. We see a character that shows. Notice that word sincere. That word sincere, it means without wax, W-A-X, wax, or to be unmixed, 
to be tested by the sunshine. You say, Pastor, that's a weird definition of the word sincere. Well, in ancient Bible times, they would make porcelain vases. And they would actually, while they're making it, sometimes they would crack and they would break. And so what they would do is they would take wax and they would mold that wax around that crack and you and paint it and you would never see the crack in that vase. And by the way, it would, it would work fine. You could set it up on the shelf. People would say, oh, that's beautiful. But how to know that the vase was cracked, you had to take the vase and hold it up to the sunlight, and the sunlight would reveal the blemish. Your character is the same way. We're really good at putting wax on our life. We're really good at making ourselves look good. We're really good at making ourselves look like we have no blemish, but held to the sunlight. Let me tell you something. We'll see those cracks. You say, Pastor, everybody's got cracks. You better believe it. But we have one that can put them together. We have one that can actually mend them together. And if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive our sin. To cleanse us from... Hey, let's not be a fake. And let's not just put wax over a blemish. Let's try our best to fix it. We have one that can fix it. So to be sincere, to it's a character thing. Matter of fact, I, I read this quote here recently. The greatest case for and against Christianity is the life of a Christian. I read this story recently about a bus driver who gave a woman too much change on purpose. This is years ago. He watched her in the mirror as she went back on the bus and she sat in the seat and watched her face kind of change. Her expression changed when she started counting the change that this man had given her. And she realized suddenly that she had gotten too much back. She walked back up to the bus driver and she politely said, uh, Sir, you, give me too much, you gave me too much change and I need to give it back to you. And he said this, I did it on purpose. He said, I've been trying to decide whether or not to become a Christian, but I didn't know if it really made a difference in a person's life. He said, now I know. Sometimes our character will reveal... If we really truly are born again. So our love must flow. Our, our uh, knowledge, our mind that knows. A character that shows. And we see that first little word in verse number 10 is the word sincere. But notice the, the next phrase. And without offense. That means blameless. The word blameless means not to stumble or cause someone else to stumble. This is not a sinless perfection. We, we, we understand that we cannot be sinless or perfect. There's only one that was sinless and perfect and he's Jesus and he's went back to heaven and so we can't do that. But when we do stumble and when we do set a bad example, we do something about it. We do something about it. We ask the Lord to forgive us and then we go and ask others to forgive us. C.H. Spurgeon said this, I write my life in the sky I have nothing to hide. What was he saying? Is that what you see is what you get? I have nothing to hide in my life. There's no dark closet. There's no back room. Hey, what you see is what you get. And we need more of that in our Christian churches today. I believe this. I believe the reason we don't love each other like we should is we don't trust each other. We don't trust each other. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say... As a church, it's probably wise, and this is where that discernment, it's probably wise if you stop doing business with each other. Or at least watch your business dealings with the church. Listen, I preach in a church every year, a good church, a wonderful pastor. And guess what? 
This pastor said this to me just two weeks ago. He said, Pastor, I've got a very successful businessman, two of them sitting in my church, that were in business together doing wonderful. He said all of a sudden uh, their business started struggling and so they split and the one businessman now will not talk to the other one and they both sit in the same church every Sunday, one on one side, the other on the other side, and they both cannot stand each other, but they go to the same church. Now let me just say, God ain't going to bless that. We got to have discernment. We got to be wise about things. And listen, I'm not saying don't use somebody in the church. What I'm saying is be very wise. And listen, if you do get beat out of money, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. You say, Pastor, really? Yeah. Somebody in the church, is it worth blowing the church up? I just warned you, you have your warning right here in the church. You say, Pastor, you should have warned me. I'm warning you right now. The chance you take by having someone in your church work for you, and you say, you say, Pastor, they didn't do a good job. Shh. Amen. I'm telling you, that went over like screen doors on a submarine, but I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I've not seen it work out real good. We've we got to be careful about our dealings. If you want to truly love people, you're going to have to, you're going to have to watch your dealings and, and have good character, character that shows and then we see lastly here in in verse 11 of what I'm going to give you and then I'll briefly say something else about the rest of this text look at verse 11 being filled with the fruits now this is the byproduct of love this is what uh, Paul because he's about to change gears in verse 12 he's starting to give you a personal testimony in verse 12 but verse 11 this is the byproduct of love being filled with the fruits of righteousness now fruits that grow. He's saying, which are by Jesus Christ and to the glory and praise of God. Now, I believe if you want to see a list of spiritual fruit, go over to Galatians chapter 5. You, you can see what they are. Matter of fact, turn over there with me. Galatians uh, chapter number 5. Just a few, just a book over. In between is Ephesians. Then turn over to the left to the Galatians chapter 5. The last chapter in your or, or, or the next to last chapter in Galatians, six chapters. So chapter 5, the last few verses in chapter 5, gives you a list of these fruits. And he says this, and, and the same writer, by the way, the same writer to this church in Galatia, same writer, church of Philippi, Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament. Here's what he said in verse 22. But, but the fruit of the Spirit, here's what that fruit produces. The first thing. What is the first thing that he says? What's the first fruit? Love. Isn't that amazing? Love is the first mention in the fruit. So love, joy, peace, all of these have to do with love. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. So the fruit, and by the way, if you've ever seen a fruit tree that bears much fruit and that fruit has grown, guess what those limbs start to do? They start to sag. And guess when them limbs start to sag? Guess what you can do? You can walk underneath that tree if it's a low-hanging fruit and you can grab some of that fruit down there and you can be nourished by the fruit that grows on the tree. Here's what we need to do this morning. We need to examine our trees. Is your life producing fruit? Sometimes I've heard this preach that fruit is people. I'm not going to negate that. I do believe, or I'm not going to argue with that. I'm... I don't believe that Paul's referencing people, the fruit of righteousness. 
But I do believe that that fruit affects people. People can sense when you have wax covering the cracks. Is your love authentic? Is your love real? Is your love centered around the gospel? Because here's the next text. Look at it with me in verse number 12. But I would that you should understand, brethren. Here's he, he changes. He starts going into a personal prayer, really. The things that have happened unto me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel. Here, basically what Paul is saying is these things have, have happened because of my situation. They, th- this is a good thing. He, he said, though I'm in prison, I'm reaching people with the gospel. And because that love was evident in Paul... He says, I'm reaching people, and I I believe this because he says in verse 13, so that my bonds are in Christ and are manifest in all the palace. I believe there was people in the palace of Rome that was actually saved under Paul's ministry because Paul did not let his situation affect his love. And we cannot let our situations affect our love for people. It is a fruit that grows. He said in verse 14, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are such more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife. What Paul's saying is they had an agenda. They preached Christ, but they had an agenda. And he said, And some also of goodwill. So many preach Christ, but some of them preach Christ for self-gain. Paul said, that actually affects me. That affects my being in prison. Because when they preach Christ, but they preach it with an agenda, notice what he says in verse verse, uh, 16. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add afflictions, supposing to add afflictions to my bonds, to my chains. They're adding to Paul's burden. They're adding to Paul's bondage by not preaching the true gospel in love. You understand? When we preach the gospel in love, all we're doing is magnifying the Savior. But when we preach the gospel with something else added to it, it's adding nothing but bondage. Right? Here's what he says in verse... 18, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I there, therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. And I believe what Paul is saying is when Christ is preached and magnified, no matter who's doing it, I rejoice. And we ought to have that attitude. You say, well, pastor, they don't dot their I's and cross their T's like we do, and they don't believe exactly. But if they preach the true and living gospel, we should rejoice. Paul said, because folks will hear the gospel and be saved. Hey, notice that next verse in verse uh, uh, 19. Oh, he really changes gears now like in overdrive. He says, for I know that this shall turn my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He continues, comma, according to my earnest expectation and my hope. Now, this is from prison. This is his expectation. This is his hope. Here it is, that in nothing... I shall be ashamed. Paul says that that nothing would hold me back, that nothing would keep me suppressed, that I should never look at my situation in fear that something bad may happen. And then he said in verse 20, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness. See, this is what love produces. Church, don't miss this. We're continuing in this chapter 
What love produces, a love for Jesus, a love for others, a love for the gospel, is it produces a boldness. You say, why? Because you cannot help yourself. Everywhere you go, you speak nothing but about Jesus. Everywhere you go. I always get this, um, I travel quite a bit and, and, uh, in airports and just places. And so somebody will ask me, uh, sitting down, you meet a lot of people. And you'll be sitting there and somebody will say, hey, what do you do for a living? That's, that's the question. What do you do for a living? And I, that, there's no better launching pad. What do I do for a living? I get to tell people about Jesus and his precious word. I tell them, I look at them, and boy, the response that I get sometimes is, is pretty exciting because I'll say I'm a preacher of the gospel. Some, you get one or two responses. Wow! That is great. Oh, wow. I, I, I get to, you know, and they start going into maybe a spiritual discussion. Or sometimes you get like the plague. Like you just told them you got the flu. You told them you got COVID or you told them you got something. And boy, then people, I wonder if there's another seat over there in the terminal. I mean, buddy, they leave you. Why? Because the bolt, listen, we should not look down at the ground and say, well, I'm a, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian or I'm a preacher or I, I get, no, 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 there ought to be a boldness that comes up and look at them and say, you know what? I love Jesus and I love God and I love his church and I love his book and I love heaven and I want people to go there and I want to tell you about it. You say, preacher, that's a little fanatical. That's what Paul was. He was a fanatic for the gospel because he loved people. But here's what he says in that last verse. He says this, that in nothing I be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now as Christ should be magnified in my body, whether it be in life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you not see the love that Paul had? See, my, my Christmas list for my wish for the church is that we would have a love for our community and for those that are dying and going to hell, we should have a love for, for people to know more about Christ, about eternal life. Matter of fact, my prayer today coming into the church, uh, driving from home to the church, was that, Lord, may the love for you ooze out today and people could see a pastor that loves them, but not, also love, not only loves them, but loves you. Because that is a contagious thing. It's contagious when this lost world sees someone that loves Jesus so much. Now, it can go either way. I mean, sometimes people can, 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 can you know, resent that and they can be pretty harsh. But most people will say, you know what, there's something different about that guy. I guarantee Paul had that everywhere he went. There's something different about that man. He loves people. Church, my, my wish for you, though these are not what I would call Christmas verses, and we'll get, we'll get to those, and we know them, and we love them, and I, I love the Christmas story, probably the greatest story ever told. I love it. It's what it's called. It's great. I love how Jesus came of a virgin, and I love that he was born in Bethlehem. I love the wise men. I love the shepherds. I love the angels. I love it all. But if we don't get this love thing down, we've missed Christmas. Christmas is not about receiving. It's about giving. Until we've learned to give of ourselves. You say, Pastor, I don't have a lot of money. I'm not talking about money this morning. I don't have a lot of this. I don't have a lot of that. But you have some love you can give. And you can give it to people. 
And we as a Bible Baptist Church uh, Christians and, and believers of this church and members of this church and attendees, we can love unconditionally. I, I read a story this week about a man by the name of George Antley. George Antley was a missionary to uh, Central Africa mission. And George Antley basically dedicated his life to reach these people in Central Africa. And it was a very dangerous, this was years ago, this was a very dangerous time in Central Africa. So he goes, and before he left, one of his friends says, George, uh, if you, uh, you need some protection when you go over there, I'm going to give you a rifle. And he said, because there's tribes over there that will try to come in the village and kill you. And we, we've known that. They, they hate they hate anybody that tries to, to, to disturb or tries to change their culture. So George took this Winchester lever action. I, I forget, 1873, something like that. He took this gift from this man and said, it's for your defense. And so he took it, took some ammunition, and had it over there for several years. He started to witness to other tribes and started to get the gospel to, to other people. And one day, a tribe, a violent tribe, one that wanted to cause some problems, showed up in his village and surrounded his village. There was eight or ten of those tribesmen that surrounded the little hut that George Antley lived in. And there was a creek that ran behind George Antley's little hut and he escaped out the back trying to escape from them. He grabbed his rifle. It was loaded. He kept it by his bed for animals and for, and for also uh, his protection. And as he's going out, he grabbed that rifle thinking that he might maybe shoot it, scare him off, shoot one of the men or whatever for personal if he had to, to defend himself. But they said there was no witnesses. This happened in the wee hours of the morning. No witnesses. Nobody's seen it take place. But when they found George Atley, they found him face first in the creek. He was dead from, from, from a uh, stabbing and a beating. But his rifle had never been shot. Still in his hands. Right underneath him, he was face first in the creek. And what one of the tribes member told the people that came to get George Antley was that he would not fire it because he loved the people too much. He would not hurt them. And I thought to myself, you know, if there's a good description of the Apostle Paul, he would have rather gave himself for the sake that some would hear the gospel and be saved. He would have, as a matter of fact, he said in one... I believe it's Romans that he'd rather go to hell to see that Israel would come to Christ. Who says that? Paul said that. Because he loved people. Can I just say that as a testimony to the Bible Baptist Church? When people come in here, no matter what time of the season it is, no matter what, if it's Christmas time or Easter or the summertime or some special meeting or some special time... It doesn't matter when people show up at our church, they should know that we love people. And honestly, that is to, that is to everyone. That, 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 is, that is, I guess, to what has happened here at church. And, and the growth that we've seen is because God has built His church because people love people. Well, we got, as Paul said it in, in, in uh, Philippians, we can always grow more.